Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. We have set aside the last Sunday of the month from our ongoing verse-by-verse study. If you're visiting with us, we've been studying verse-by-verse through the book of Genesis. Uh, It's just a quick study. It's going to take us a brief two years to get through one book. Uh, But we've set aside the last Sunday of the month to look and think distinctly and on purpose about discipleship, to fix our attention on what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't tell us, he didn't instruct us to go and build big churches. He instructed us in Matthew 28 that we should go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples is the point of the church. It is the mission of the church, and not just where we feel comfortable and at home, but to all nations, to all people groups, all ethnic groups is actually what that word means. So the big picture from Genesis that we've been studying all the way through the new covenant with Christ coming is God choosing a family out of all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth in the Old Testament basically is giving us a story of God shrinking that down and choosing a family to reveal himself, to put his name on display, his glory on display. But it was a picture of what was coming when Christ would invite all families of the earth into that family, all peoples of the earth into that family. Friends, the gospel is for everyone. And so our job as a church, specifically at Eden Worship Center, is not to have the biggest, best show in town. It's not to attract believers from other congregations, which is generally what that tendency is about. It's also not to attract unbelievers who would just feel better about themselves if they could hear some good self-help sermons and maybe come to church at least once a month to establish a good fire of hell insurance for their life. No, we have been called to make disciples of Jesus the Christ. And to say to people what Christ said to us, follow me. As I follow Christ, come and follow me. So how is it that Christ has commanded us to follow him? What are the means by which we are saved? What are the means by which these precious little ones that we dedicated to the Lord this morning are saved? We're going to be looking at this passage in John, and I'll I'll just confess that as Bob was reading it, I thought there's at least three different directions we could take this sermon. Uh, I promise I'm going to attempt to limit myself uh, to the focus of what I have in front of me, but I I want to fix our attention on three things in this of God's intention towards the church, that he first sanctifies them in the truth. God bringing sanctification to the truth, in the truth to his people, God working salvation in the hearts of his people, that they would be unified, number two, in the truth, God uniting his people into one family, and number three, the point of the whole thing, God mobilizing them 
in truth, God sending his people to all the families of the world. Look with me again at John 17, verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word. And because that's true, the world has hated them. Because they're not of this world, just as I, Jesus, am not of this world. And then he prays, really interesting here, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also might be sanctified in truth. This is what we called the parents of those dedicating children this morning to do. Consecrate yourself. Set apart yourself for the sake of the gospel that you might pass that on to your children. And yet the path to discipleship does not begin with our well-laid plans and strategies. It doesn't come from the newest, best book that has hit the marketplace or ideas about evangelism and reaching your neighbors or reaching unreached people groups. Now keep in mind, our community groups are right now going through joining Jesus on his mission. Right? So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong uh, with reading books and having new ideas. I'm just saying we dare not place our hope in that as the means of salvation. Or the best new book on how to parent your children into the kingdom of God. Which, it's interesting, this is new ideas, and so they have to keep packaging with different uh, labels on it. The best way, the right way, the biblical way, the Jesus way, uh, whatever is going to get your attention on the cover of the book. Friends, we don't have the ability to either parent someone into the kingdom of God or neighbor them into the kingdom of God. God alone is the God of salvation. Now, we do lots of legwork. We, we call these parents to faithfulness and dedication. And yet our hope and trust is in the living God who saves. So what is the means of salvation? How is this task of salvation accomplished? Here is the simple answer, God's word. God's word made alive in their hearts by God's spirit. And so verse 14, Jesus says, here's what I have done. I have given them your word. That doesn't mean he gave them a brand new copy of the King James Version. It's got like a lambskin cover on it with their name embossed on the front cover. In fact, look at how in the context Jesus says this works. Look at the contrast that he makes immediately after this. Verse 14, I've given them your word, and because of that, the world has done what? Come on, church. Hated them. Because they are not of this world, just like I am not of this world. Friends, the Bible, God's truth, the truth that God has given us, is not neutral, it is divisive and contrary to the world in which we live. We should expect Christians who obey and honor God's word above all else to be standing in contrast to the world that we live in, not just going along with the stream. Francis Schaeffer, a great thinker from the past generation, gave an address in 1981 at the University of Notre Dame, and he said this, Christianity is not a series of truths in the plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just religious things. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality, and the intellectual holding of that truth, and then living in the light of that truth. 
Man, if you just condense that a little bit, it is an unchanging, eternal truth of how God says he works and his world works, and us knowing that and living that. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 says. Here's a verse we don't often quote about the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that smashes a rock? We often talk about God in this generation as a God of love. A God who just, now we don't talk like this. A God who loves and accepts everyone just as they are and leaves them just as they are. The popular saying, only God can judge me, and behind that they have in mind, and in fact, God won't judge me because he accepts me just as I am. And then God comes along testifying through the prophet Jeremiah of what his word and his truth look like. He said, it's like a fire and like a hammer that smashes a rock. God intends to smash the rock of your pride and idolatry idolatry and self-reliance until you trust in him. One of the the fill-in-the-blanks in your bulletin, The world not only rejects God's truth, but hates God's truth because it denies them the power to decide their own truth based on their sinful desires. You can see it on the screen, but I'm going to read that one more time to you. What's going on in the world around us? The world not only rejects God's truth, but hates God's truth because it denies them the power to decide their own truth based on their sinful desires. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 10, 34 through 36. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We get the mother-in-law thing, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, Jesus is not calling for animosity and hatred and fighting just for that sake, but he's saying there will be those in your house who stand for the truth of God's word, and there will be those who hate the truth of God's word, and that will turn them against one another. And yet we dare not depart from God's word as God's people. Because God said his word is like a fire. And so to one, the one who rejects God, the gospel hardens their hearts and fuels their hatred for God. Friends, let me just tell you, it is entirely possible to come to church all of your life and never believe the gospel. Never submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And there's a danger because you say, well, I'm a good person because I go to church. Only what happens is your heart gets harder and harder and harder because you listen less and less and less until you have no ears to hear. And on the other side, the fire of God's word to another, to the elect, the, those who God has chosen, it is the sanctifying fire unto salvation. Those of you who belong to Christ, those of you who he has transferred from death to life, you remember what it was like to be that rebel who was sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair and the preacher who you didn't want to hear and somebody else dragged you there was preaching and you were doing the best you could to tune him out until God set your heart on fire, showed you your sin and you just had to repent. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he works to sanctify his people through his word. Now, sanctify is one of those churchy words that we don't really use outside of church. So sometimes it's good to just define those. 
It's based on a word, hagiadzo, which means to regard as special or sacred. By the way, have you ever wondered why preachers always go back to, well, the Hebrew says, or the Greek word for this, why do they do that? It's because, have you noticed in our time, we keep changing the definitions of what words mean? Time just goes by, and all of a sudden, I remember as a kid growing up, uh, and they said you had to be tolerant. It meant the person next to you was driving you nuts. Don't punch them. Right? You, you tolerate them. I'm putting up with you, even though I can't stand you. How many of you are old enough to remember that definition? Is that what tolerance means now? No, we have changed it. It means you have to accept everybody, love everybody. In fact, celebrate all the things that you think are wrong in their life. We're not going to go down that road. The original words, when we dig back into them, sit, sit as an anchor for God's word. That means we can't just change the definitions from generation to generation. This word sanctify means to set apart, regard as special or sacred, to make holy, to consecrate, to dedicate, and to separate. Isn't that what we did with our kids this morning? We said, God, we want to, with our intentions and our lives, set them apart for you. Would you be the God who saves them? It's the word of God. You, if you come to EWC, you hear this a lot. It's the word of God that does the work of God in the people of God. It's not our best program. I appreciate it. It was awesome this morning uh, to see the worship team leading, see young people leading, and I didn't do anything. It's kind of fantastic. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good the worship team is. It's God's word that does his work in his people. Oh, thank God for that. But notice in these verses in John 17, when Jesus says, verse 14, the world will hate them. Verse 15, there's an evil one pursuing them in the world. But, verse 19, Jesus is with them. Verse 17, his word is transforming them. And verse 18, and is mobilizing them. This world is not out of control. There are times where you flip on the news, or you get on social media, and you're instantly concerned that the world is out of control. It's the worst it's ever been. We should give up on everything and buy a cabin in Montana and just retreat, right? Now, number one, a cabin in Montana sounds awesome. Don't get me wrong. But if you're going to retreat from the world, you are going for the wrong reasons because Christ is king. I didn't even have to ask you to say amen. You nailed it. So proud of you guys. Here's the, the purpose of this great work of salvation and sanctification, that he would sanctify them in the truth, set them apart, make them holy, and then unify them in the truth. Those individuals that he has sanctified, he's now unifying one with another. And the purpose of that is that he might mobilize them in the truth right back into this world. And so Jesus prays, verse 15, Father, please don't take them out of this world. Consider, if Jesus is praying, Father, please don't take them out of this world, this was such a dark and desperate time that it seemed reasonable and rational that God would want to pull his people back from it. And yet sometimes we look at our day and we say, it's the worst it's ever been, we should give up hope. Jesus said this world desperately needs them because they are light in the midst of darkness, Father, please don't take them out of it. Preserve them in it. Colossians 3.3 3. For you died to this life, and your real life, this is the New Living Translation, is hidden with Christ in God. Philippians 2, verse 15 and 16. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. But listen, listen to the context. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted, perverted generation, among whom you do what? Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Friends, if Christians retreat from this world and everything around them, the light goes out. God has placed us to be a light, a shining difference in the midst of darkness. And so to that end, God sanctifies his people and then he unites his people. United in truth. God uniting his people into one family. Look at verse 20. We're going to read through verse 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that, they have, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This means that Christ, the King of glory, has hidden you, individual Christian, in himself, and that he is hidden in God. Man, sometimes we live in a world that feels so dark and so desperate that we feel like I'm all alone. And our tendency is to retreat rather than stand firm that we do not belong to this world. There is an evil one who is pursuing you in this world and there is a God who has hidden you even though you're right in the midst of this world. Who has enabled you, empowered you, and we trust in his strength and power. The means by which Christ intends to unify his church is by joining them to himself. That's not bad. I'm going to read that one more time to you. The means by which Christ intends to unify his church is by joining them to himself. Look how Jesus does not pray in this passage. He doesn't pray like you and I often pray. Oh God, please help them all get along. I feel like pastors pray that all the time. Oh God, can you, can you help them just agree? Maybe, maybe God, help them see things clearly. Hey, God, if you could just send somebody to go and talk with them so that they all think alike and act alike and look alike and sound alike, then, oh, your church would be glorious. That's not what he says. No, the means of our unity with each other is unity being joined with Christ. We've made it about all these other things, which is why churches have different flavors to them. And I wanted to say there's nothing wrong with diversity in the church. There's nothing wrong with denominations. By the way, that word just means denominating, saying what it is that they believe and how we should live that out. In fact, the diversity glorifies God. Except when we say, yeah, but this is the right way to do it. Everybody else does it, eh, not quite as good. 
We, we start looking condescendingly down on other churches, other believers who are faithful to God's word and faithful in their lives and obedient in sharing the gospel with others, which is why every single week at EWC we pray for another church and you almost never hear us pray for ourselves. Have you noticed? Because it's God, it's Christ who stands as head of the church, not us. Not our right way of doing things. Except we have, it, there's one problem in the church. I don't know if you've discovered it. How many of you regularly go to church and you've discovered this? The problem with the church is the people. <laughs> it's just awful. Like, church would be a great place if it wasn't for all these stinking people. So it should come as no surprise, at least as church members, it shouldn't surprise us. When we see lived out what the Apostle Paul said, you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you're going to consume one another, Galatians 5.15. And yet Paul's remedy for that is not, we need a maybe just a seminar on church communications, or we should formulate a committee to talk about how we can facilitate communication within the church or organization within the church. Here's what he said, verse, this is Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. That's his answer. Trust in God's Word and God's Spirit, and stop living for yourselves. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up, that's from the ESV, your word in my heart. The NIV says, I have hidden your word in my heart. The New American Standard says, I have treasured God's word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Friends, when bitterness comes between brothers and sisters in Christ, it is evidence that they are neither hiding God's word in their heart or hiding themselves in Christ. Fill in the blank for you here. Christ alone is the foundation of true unity in the church. That's it. Not, not that we agree on this issue or that issue. We are hiding ourselves in God's word and in Christ. And if we are not living in consistent closeness to him and his word, our lives, our families, and our fellowship will bear irrefutable evidence. That means you can argue against it all you like to, but it's going to show up in all those areas of your life that you have drifted from God's word and you have drifted from hiding yourself in Christ, which is so dangerous. Jesus said, John 15, verses 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, so if you cut it off from the vine, you cut it off from the tree, that branch is dead, it's not going to bear fruit. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do okay. Apart from me, you, you, can, you can try as long as you, know, you just have really good programs in place. And maybe a charismatic pastor of the church. No, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the analogy is to a dead branch, which he's going to say other places is worth nothing just to pick up and throw into the fire. So why does much of the church in America today find itself powerless and shrinking in a world around us? Here's the answer. They have failed to stand on the rock of Christ, holding fast to his unchanging word and have instead kept pace with the world 
this is good, desiring to be a united people without first being a sanctified people. I'm telling you what, you want to know, you want to diagnose what you see in uh, churches that are drifting from faithfulness and drifting towards the world, what is happening. They, it's everybody love everybody. That, that's the message. Now, as Christians, Jesus said, here's how the world's going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Is love key to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Nod your heads. Yeah. Absolutely, but here's what they've done. We want to love everyone, be united with everyone, without first being sanctified in Christ. And now we have churches that are no longer churches. There are some, when they close their doors, that we should not weep but celebrate. Rather than saying, follow me as I follow Christ, they have said, I'm okay, you're okay. And here's the real tragedy. We have missed the point of being a church and individually members of Christ. Because we've made the church just another safe space. Anybody else just hate that phrase? To protect ourselves, protect our family, protect our feelings. We should just laugh at that and say, yeah, tell that to the first century Christians. Tell that to the initial recipients of the gospel. Jesus says to them, first, first century Christians, I've given them their, your word, and how did the world respond? By hating them. What did that look like? We're given a couple glimpses of this. Uh, Paul quotes Psalm 44 in Romans 8. He says, as it is written, this is what it looks like to be a New, New Testament Christian. For your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded like sheep to be slaughtered. Encouraging. Right, let's put that over the door of the church, see how many people show up next week. Friends, if the gospel is true, then the gospel is good news worth living for and worth dying for. The last thing we're going to look at, that God has sanctified his people, he has united his people, and he has mobilized his people in truth. God's sending his family into all the families of the world. Dr. Steve Lawson said this. I thought this was a fantastic quote. Humanism says man is the truth. Pragmatism says whatever works is the truth. Pluralism says everyone has a piece of the truth. This is the world in which we live, a world that rejects the claim of any absolute truth that is the standard for everyone. That's why Christians aren't even good at having the conversation with the world around us. They're hearing the word truth through a different filter. We've been tracking it verse by verse through Genesis, God calling and choosing a family for himself. That family that would serve as this prototype, this old covenant picture of what it would look like in the new covenant. This family that wasn't born into the family but ransomed by Christ. So no longer, when we reach the new covenant, is entrance into the family by natural birth. In the old covenant, you were born a Jew, and therefore you were part of God's people. But new births that God causes dead hearts to become alive. That's, that's the picture of new covenant entrance into the family of God. So the call is no longer, as we saw with Adam and Noah and the children of Israel, be fruitful and multiply, have lots of kids that are born into the family of God, but now bearing fruit with spiritual sons and daughters. A fruitfulness that comes as a result of our lives, trusting in the truth of the gospel and then living it out. Hopefully, 
beginning with our natural sons and daughters. Amen? And yet it's so much deeper than that. John 15, verse 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By the way, if you just think about that, it's a little incongruous. If he's like, by this is my Father glorified, have as many kids as you can. Okay, I'm not sure how that glorifies God, uh, other than uh, the building up of his kingdom. But to just say that having children alone is the means of that, no, he's pointing at our lives should be bearing fruit, and that affects the people who are around us. Friends, if we are not investing our lives, our futures, and all that God has given us in those around us, we are misusing the gift God has given us. Mark 10, verses 29 through 30, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. This is not just about your retreat center. This is about God forming a people, forming a family to send to every family of the earth. This is why we say both things. It is vitally important, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, that you love, nurture, encourage, admonish, pour God's word into your children while you have them, but you dare not think that they are your salvation because the call is to pour them into the nations. Friends, that is a costly offering. The mission of the church, the point of our sanctification and unity is to be mobilized right back into a darkened world. Whether that is to a distant tribe or starting today, dedicating our children, we pour God's truth and light into their hearts. We live and love like we don't belong to this world. Praying that God would take our imperfect efforts and work his perfect salvation. Let's pray. God, this is just a huge task. We can talk about truth all day long, and yet, God, we just confess that we are not able to make anyone believe, whether it's sons and daughters or neighbors or distant tribes, And so we pray simply, oh God, would you make us faithful? Would you make us diligent? Would you cause us to, as Christ did, consecrate ourselves to know you and then make you known? Would you let us live sacrificially for the sake of others? That they might not only hear the gospel, but they would see it lived out in our lives. But then, Jesus, would you do what only you can do, and that's make their dead hearts come alive. Whether it's our children, or whether it is children born into a tribe that we will never see on this side of eternity, God, they are just as precious as these little ones that we held in our arms this morning. Oh, God, would you call people to yourself because of faithful men and women who have said, it is better for me to leave all of this behind and go. God, sanctify us in your truth. Cause us to believe it and change our hearts because of it. God, unify us in your truth as one body 
Even though we are many, we think different, we look different, we act different, let us be united in Christ because we are joined with him. And then God, mobilize us, send us with your truth. Lord, not just for their sake. We want people in every nation, tribe, language, clan to hear the good news. But God, it's not about them. It's about your glory being put on display in the whole world. Send us for your sake, we pray. Amen. Worship team, if you would come and join me. While they're coming, I want to encourage you today, spend some time as a family or spend some time as individuals just talking about some of this stuff. Sometimes it just helps to sort of revisit and talk through some of these ideas. So you see these, they're on the screen, they're also in your bulletin. What areas can we be more diligent and faithful to live the truth and share the truth? Kids especially, as you're part of this conversation, if God does the work of salvation, does it matter whether we work or not? By the way, kids, that's a really hard question. You may have to help mom and dad with that one. Then think together, where have we been relying on our own efforts to accomplish salvation? Where is it that we have slipped into pragmatism saying, uh, this is what we must do to accomplish this? And instead of that, pray, ask God to help us trust in his power to save and not our own. Ask God to make us more faithful and obedient to what he asks us to do. Church, as we look to the table of the Lord, we are reminded as we are week after week that we have been invited into this family. You haven't earned your way in. You haven't smarted your way in because you're smart enough to figure out everything that the church is saying, the Bible is saying. You're not here because you're better than your neighbor who doesn't believe. You are here because the sovereign God chose to open your eyes. Once rebels, once hostile towards God in your mind, while you were yet actively at war with him at just the right time, Christ died for you. If you have trusted in him. So if that's you this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, I know we have lots of visitors. If you are a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're part of this church or another church, we welcome you to come as brothers and sisters. There's a seat for you at this table. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. You're that person that somebody dragged here this morning. Maybe you've even grown up in this church, and yet you have never really given yourself over to the Lord. You, you've kind of believed generally, but you've never surrendered. I would say to you, there's also a seat for you at this table. It has your name on it. You just haven't claimed it yet. This is the day where you say, God, I have seen that I can't save myself. Would you please save me? Where you trust in Christ for salvation. Man, there's nothing fancy. There's no uh, dim the lights and cue the smoke machines and somebody starts playing just as I am on the piano. It's right now as God convicts you in your heart where you say, God, please save me. I'm a sinner who can't save myself. I've tried. Trust in Christ this morning unto salvation. If you do that, I want you to come and talk with me. Uh, talk with, actually, talk with anybody. Just look around the room. See those people? Talk to one of them. Say, yeah, I trusted Christ this morning. I, I don't know why I didn't do it a long time ago. Let them pray with you, encourage you, and walk with you. And yet, if you're not there yet, I'm going to ask you to sit this one out as we come to the table. 
as a reminder that we, we proclaim with the bread that is broken. Jesus said, this is a picture of my body that's broken for you. With this cup of, we have wine and grape juice. You can get either one you want. But this cup of wine actually represents my blood that is shed for you. And as believers eat and drink that, we testify that our hope is not in our good works, in our good deeds, all the diligence that we want to have. It's in Christ alone for salvation. And so if you don't believe that, I would say don't come and proclaim something that's not true about yourself. Here's one of the great tests of what we believe. Grab your bulletin and open it up to the Apostles' Creed that's in there. Let's stand together and confess as a church where our hope lies. And then as the worship team begins to lead us, come and take the elements and then we'll take them together in a minute. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.